Hey, what's up? My name is Steven, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Part three of Kingdom Culture, we're jumping into. If you've missed the last couple of weeks, I want to encourage you to go back and, and check out the last couple of messages. We're, we're looking at this concept of our faith from a kingdom perspective and that sometimes we get caught up in thinking of church as just what happens within the scope, within a building, within our denomination, within our crew, within our people. And, and I want us to, to have a mindset and an understanding that what we do here is far greater than just what takes place at Avenue Church, that we are a part of God's kingdom. And, and Jesus makes several statements throughout his ministry talking about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he says, seek first the kingdom of heaven, and then everything else will be given to you. And for us that have grown up in a democratic society, understanding a kingdom concept is, is a little difficult in that, you know, the king is in charge. He's not elected, that the king owns everything. The king has all authority. And the incredible thing is that, that you and I, for those of us that are following Jesus, that we talked last week that, that he has um, delegated some of that authority to us to expand his kingdom within our families, within our jobs, within our communities, within our city, as long as we are constantly thinking and walking in a place of surrender and obedience, in a place of submission and obedience. Because the more that we do that, the more authority that we have to push back the darkness. And guys, we need to be doing that on a whole nother level right now, right? That, 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 and, and here's the thing. When you think about light and darkness, and John, the, John chapter 1 says that, that, that light cannot be extinguished by dark. So if we were to cut off all the lights in this room, and I were to light a match or a lighter, no matter how dark it got in this room, the darkness would, over, would not be able to overcome the light. And so you and I have that authority to push back the darkness no matter where we're at. And so we talked last week about kingdom authority. The second thing that, that we need to know is, is every kingdom has authority, but it also has resources. And I want to talk about the resources today that, that you and I have. And people think, are you talking about money? Yes, I'm talking about money, but that's not the only resource that you and I have the ability to use and to steward to expand God's kingdom. And Jesus uses several stories to teach um, and to describe what the kingdom of heaven is like, its values, its principles, and our responsibilities in the midst of it. And, and when it comes to managing resources, he, he tells this parable both in Matthew and in Luke that are very similar about a master or a king who calls his servants together and gives them pounds or gives them silver or gives them an amount of money and then he gives them the opportunity to steward it while he goes away. Now, it's two different parables and, and they're very similar in a lot of ways, but we're going to look at the first one in Matthew 25 verses 14 through 19. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. 
He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Verse 15, he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it, this is key, in proportion to their abilities. And goes on to say, he then left on his trip, in verse 16, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned how many more? Five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned how many more? Two. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground, hid the master's money. Then after a long time, their master returned from the trip and called them to give an account of how they had used the money. And so Jesus tells the story of, of three servants that he divides the money up. One gets five, one gets two, and one gets one. And, and we read what each one of them does to it. But then in Luke 19, he tells a similar story with just a couple of changes. Before he left, and this is a master that's being called to be made king it says, before he left in Luke 19, verse 13 and 15, he called together 10 of his servants and divided among them 10 pounds of silver, saying, invest this money for me while I'm gone. But his people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want you to be our king. After he was crowned king, he returned and called the servants to whom he had given the money and he wanted to find out what their prophets were. So two stories that Jesus is giving us about how we are to steward the resources that we have. Similar in some ways, different in others. But there's three principles that we can pull from these two stories on, on what we are supposed to do. So we, we have to remember this, though. We have to remember that we are not owners of anything. Okay? Yes, in some senses, I own my house, I pay the bill, right? I pay the mortgage, but God provides the finances for me to pay for that house, right? Um, yes, I wake up every morning and I have breath in my lungs and I have life and I have three incredible daughters and, and like an amazing wife. And as much as I, would, I call them my girls, they're not my girls, they are a treasure that I have been given from my heavenly father to take care of, to steward, to protect, to um, develop as they grow. And so you and I have to come to that understanding and, and, and put our pride down. You may be a business owner. You know, you may have a mansion. If you do, send me a text, 731-412-9348. We'll talk. Okay, I'm just kidding. Right? <laughs> here's, here, here's the thing. We have to understand that, that we own nothing, but we are stewards or we are caretakers of everything that we have. And at one day, at one point, we will have to give an account for those of us who are Jesus followers on how we stewarded what God has given us. We have to use it in a way that brings honor to our master. And so there's two messages here. One is, is Jesus is trying to correct the thinking of, of the believers around him because, again, they think that he's coming to set up an immediate earthly kingdom right now with Jerusalem being the governmental center of it. But in Jesus' like, great plan and God's great plan, it's way bigger than that. Like, like it's a heavenly global kingdom that we can't wrap our mind around. And the second thing he's trying to teach people how you and I have to steward the resources that we've been given. And the stories used, like told using money 
But it's not just money that it's multiple things, but the three main takeaways is one. Um, we have been entrusted with resources according to our ability. Okay? We've been entrusted with resources according to our ability. And, and we see this in, in the story in Matthew is that, that he gave some five because he knew they had the ability to take care of five. He gave one two because he knew they had the ability to take care of two. And he only gave the one one because he knew that was his ability. And sometimes, here's what you and I, we look at those around us that have more than us. And we think, why don't I have that? whether it's finances, whether it's responsibility, whether it's titles. And, and here's the reason we probably don't have that is because we don't have the ability to maintain and handle that. That's hard because we look at like social media and we look at our friends and we see what they have. And we think, I want what they got. But in reality, if we received what they have, it would crush us, Right. And so, like, I, you know, as a church planner, you get church planning stories. I see guys, and I see, like, them exploding. Sometimes, like, in the first year, they're having, like, 500, 600. Like, God, why can't I have that? And I'm like, like, I've come to a realization now, I don't want that just yet. God still got some work in me to increase my capacity. Now, here's the thing. You may have the ability to handle five or two or one, but as you steward that well, what happens is your ability grows and your capacity grows. Because the one who had five, as he was stewarding that well with the ability that he had, his capacity grew to be able to handle 10, right? But the one, and we'll talk in a minute, the one didn't do anything. So he did not grow his capacity. And so we have to take what God's given us with the ability that we have to grow our capacity, and we do that. Oh, and, and, and here's this. So, so you look at the story, and, and you read it. What we see happen is even though they all had different abilities, they all got the same reward. The ones who stewarded what they were given, they all had their rewards doubled. So the one that had five got 10. The one that had two got four at the end of it, right? Making sure I did the math right. I know that's really difficult, right? It's multiplication and math at the same time, right? But the one who did nothing, there was no reward. And it says that the, the ones who doubled and, and stewarded and were celebrated, it says that they shared in their master's celebration. Regardless if they got five more bags or two more bags, they all got to share in the master's celebration. So when you and I take what we've been given with our ability that we've been given, and we steward it well, we get to share in the master's celebration. And we're not just giving it for our own. Um, we're giving it to invest. Luke 19, 13. In Luke's version of it, it says that he gave them the money so that they would invest it. Um, we, have to, we, we have to have a return in the business world that's called ROI, which is return on what? Investment, right? Return on investment is that that, that we want to do things that bring a return. We want to do things that's going to improve um, the value of our life, do things to improve the value of our finances, of our time. We want to have a return. And it says the wicked servant did nothing with what he was given and lost even what he had. The celebrated went to work immediately. They didn't wait. They went to work immediately. When you invest things, there's work involved. And they weren't just investing, investing it for themselves because who owns everything? God, the king. The king owns everything. So when they invest the king's resources, guess who gets the return? The king. 
And in our kingdom, heavenly kingdom, the investment comes in, in lives. The return comes in lives. When we see lives changed, that is a return on investment. It's not about building great buildings and, and going on like elaborate trips or having a church bank account that's full, but it's about, and it's, it's not even this. Like we're getting full in here, guys. I don't know if you notice. Like it gets hotter when there's more people in here, so I have to turn the air down. <laughs> and then when I start preaching, it's not as hot. And I see you guys start putting on jackets, right? So there's all these like, like I don't even want to celebrate a full room for the purpose of celebrating a full room. Because as we pack heaven, the return on investment is not just Avenue Church, but it's packing heaven, right? And so that's the profit that we're going for. The master came back to see what the prophet was, the, 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 the prophet and the return that they had made. Everything belongs to the king. And so when we look at this, there, there are three areas of resources that, that you and I, I believe, have been given that are the most valuable. And, and it's easy to remember. Um, when, you, when you need money, what do you go to? An ATM, right? And so remember this ATM. We all have abilities. We all have time. We all have money. We all have abilities, we all have time, we all have money. And so let's look at abilities first. 1 Peter 4.10 It says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them how? What does that say? Use them well. Is it up there? Yeah. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Then do it with all strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything, come on, say everything. Everything that you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. And so here's, here's what I want you to say. Like you have abilities that other people don't have. You have giftings that other people don't have that is given, as Peter says, to serve one another. Those abilities are from God's storehouse. And, and you can read in Romans, you can read in 1 Corinthians, you can read in Ephesians as, as Paul is writing to the church in these letters of all these different gifts. And, and here's what I love, is I love people recognizing the gift that God has given them that they've been using their whole life and then finally realizing that's a spiritual gift. And, and when you realize that's a spiritual gift, you, you steward it a little bit better and you use it for less personal reasons. And here's how you know what your gifts are, okay? Um, a few ways that, that, that you can decide what your gifts are is, is what do you do well? Because it says if you have certain gifts, then use it to serve others well. What do you do well? Um, where are you celebrated? Like, like when you do something and it brings value to people and they thank you for it, or they encourage you for it, or they are made better by it, and, and you're celebrated. Not like, oh, you're just the most, but like, like, where do you leave an impact in people's lives? So what do you do well? Where do you leave an impact in people's lives? Um, and this is a big one, like, like, what brings you joy? Like, what brings you joy? That, that if you, you know, people say that if you, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life, Right? I love doing this, but I tell you right now, I've worked more days <laughs> and harder than I've ever worked in my life. But at the end of the day, I'm recharged by it, right? My, you know, I say, say a lot to our team. It's like, you know, my, my body is just exhausted. My brain's exhausted, but my heart is full, right? 
It's like clear eyes, full heart. Can't lose, all right? Any Friday Night Light fans out there, right? Clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. Because I know if I put my energy into things that I'm created for and I find joy in, I'm just not being fulfilled, that it's making a difference around us, right? And so I want to encourage you this, is another thing that you can do is you can just take a spiritual gift inventory. It's like, I don't know, I enjoy doing a lot of things. People say, like, maybe you're a jack of all trades, but a master of none, but there's something that God has crafted you specifically for, whether that's working with your hands, whether that's hospitality, whether that's hosting, whether that's even something as simple as encouraging, And we see that as so simple that it's not impactful. But guys, we need encouragement in this world right now more than we need anything else. And so if that is your gift, encourage others well. And so in growth track, like we we go through just kind of a, we, we spend the whole last session helping you understand how God has designed you uniquely in your personality and how God has gifted you to serve in his kingdom. And so what are your abilities that God has given you to steward and to um, increase the value in? What are your abilities? The second T is, is, is time. And this is probably our most limited resources, um, limited of all of our resources, because honestly, we, we don't know when it's going to run out, right? If you think about it for a moment, we, we don't know when it's going to run out. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says, so be careful how you live. It says, don't live like fools, but instead live like those who are wise Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Other translation says to redeem the time because the days are evil. It says don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Um, in the reality, we, we don't know when that resource is going to run out. If you look at the scope of history and, you know, life expectancies have changed and kind of doing some digging and some research in 1901, the life expectancy in, in, in the U.S., that's when they first started tracking it, was 49 years old. It's like, oh my goodness, right? So some of you guys have blown way past that, right? And like, man, I, if, if I lived in 1901, I would have about six or seven years left. It's like, that's mind-blowing, Right? And so you fast forward to 1950, and, and it goes up a little bit. In the 1950s, the life expectancy was about 65. And so now in 2019, in America, it's about 79. And so it's gradually increasing. Now it looks, and it's like, Canada must be doing something different. Their life expectancy right now is 82. So when I get older, I'm going to move to Canada just so I can squeeze out a few more years, right, is what I'm going to do. But, but we don't know. You know, David says, look at the palm of your hand, that our life is like a handspring. He says our life is like a vapor, that it's here one moment, it's gone the next. And so we need to make the best use of our time. And if I were to ask you, how many of you would say you waste more time during the day than you probably should, what would we all do? Let's all raise our hands, right? We waste way more time than what we probably should. And what's crazy, guys, is we have created all these inventions and things that are supposed to help us gain more time with the microwave, with the washing machine, with the toaster oven, with with all these things that are supposed to give us more time. But instead of filling it with things that are going to bring a better investment, I find myself, maybe not you, wasting more of it than what I should. 
And it's like I, I don't do it on purpose. Do you ever wake up one morning and it's like, I'm just going to waste my day. <laughs> I would love to be able to do that. Like a planned wasteful day, I think Scripture calls that a Sabbath maybe. I don't know. We need to go back and revisit that, right? And it's not a wasteful day, but it's just coming back and resting. But here's what we do. We just, we, we slice and splice our time so much during the day and we don't use it effectively. So, so looking at our time, what are the best uses of our time to get the most ROI of this resource that our king has given us? Well, the first thing is, you know, is, is a no-brainer. We have to spend time with Jesus, right? Are you spending that time in the morning or at night or at lunch or all those times that is completely uninterrupted? Now, for some of you with like small kids, you may have to go to the bathroom and lock the door. And, and even then you see little fingers like crawling under the door as like the zombie apocalypse, right? As they're trying to get in. But, but where can you carve out time to grow in your relationship with Jesus? Because as you grow in his word and listening to his spirit and and you know, there's, there, there's a really disturbing parable that Jesus tells. It's like there, there will be people that, that come to him and say, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name. Like, like we knew your name and, and we did things for a good reason. And he's going to say, depart from me. I knew you not. And he says, only those that, that know my word and do what it says will enter into my father's kingdom. And so what we have to do is, is we have to carve out this time to know what God's word is speaking directly into, into our life, into our heart for right now in this season where we're at and be obedient to that. And then we want to carve out time for, for community, time in community. And I, and I almost put like time with friends, time with family, but, but here's what I found out because Jesus makes this statement. He's with the disciples and his, his mom and brothers are, are showing up and the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, there's your, there's your mom and, and your brothers, there's your family. And he makes this statement, who is my family except those that do the will of my father? And so I know like some of us, our families are jacked up and we are like anxious level 10, knowing that we've got Thanksgiving coming up and we've got to be in house with like, like be, be in a dining room in a kitchen with, with Uncle Carl, whoever your crazy Uncle Carl is, right? It's like, I got to be in that room with him. It's like, you guys are like, okay, Stephen, stop. All right, but, but for some of us, we really don't want to do community with our family. And that's why it's important that we have community with our friends and family, but we also find a faith community that, that we can grow in a relationship with. That's why Sunday mornings are important. That's why a small group is important and because there are things that take place that, that we talk about here on a Sunday morning and worship and the word that you need throughout your week. But then there's also things that take place in a small group setting where it's fewer people and you can, you can start to be a little more real and you know a little more transparent and grow. And it's all about doing life together. And that's hard. Because we, we think we're connected through Instagram and Facebook and email and text messages. And we're not as, we are more connected but less connected. We're more connected but we have less community. And my pastor always used to say this. When you look at, at, at houses like that were built in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, they had this elaborate front porch. Because guess where everyone would sit in the afternoons? On their front porch. Now we have a very tiny entryway, right? Or a garage that we drive into and we close the garage before we get out because we don't want to see our neighbors. I might have to talk to somebody. 
right? <laughs> I don't want to, I might have to talk to you about And so what's happening is our patios are getting bigger because we can sit on the back of the house and nobody knows we're home, right? And so how are you in spending time in community with your family and with your, with your faith community? Um, and then how are we at spending time um, serving, serving, using the abilities that God has given us? And so these are three areas of time that, that I think we can put into practice and get a great return on the kingdom. Yesterday, we, we had a handful of folks. We had about five or six folks that went and partnered with Journey Home. And I'm not just talking about Sundays, but not Journey Home, but Greenhouse Ministries. And we gave away like 500 turkeys and fed 500 people in Murfreesboro community. Yes, you know, was, was it a little bit intrusive on a Saturday morning? Absolutely. I overslept. I was supposed to be there at 745. I got there like at 8, right? But I spent two and a half hours pushing a buggy and Scott spent two and a half hours praying with people, hearing their stories and finding out what's going on in their life. And I actually met more people that have grown up in Murfreesboro on that day than I have the entire time that I've been here. And so getting to know the community and serving. And so for, for even serving in a church as, as we move forward as an Avenue church, expanding God's kingdom, we're going to need more hands on deck. We don't want just your hands. We want to take care of your heart. But we also know that as our church grows, the responsibilities are going to grow, right? When, when my oldest daughter was born, she was an only child. And probably in her mind whatsoever, she had no idea that she would have to help take care of a younger sister. And then another younger sister, right? But as our family grew, those in the house begin to have more responsibility. Like washing, like washing clothes for five people is way harder than washing clothes for two people. And actually, it's not the washing that's so bad. It's the what? Folding. It's the folding, right? And so like, like our bonus room has just become the clean clothes room. Right? And so you just wash it, and then, yeah, it's like a giant closet. But, but here's why. More people in the house, more responsibility. So it takes a little more time. And so as we grow, more people in the house means more responsibility. And we need your hands and your heart to help us do that. And so how can we serve through our abilities and time and look, right? We're, we're talking within a church 20 hours at the max in a month. And those are like our worship team practices for a couple hours on Thursdays. They get here early and set up. But, but could you give like five to 10 hours a month to help build the kingdom of God? Could you? Probably. All right, I'll move on to even something more difficult than our time. Let's talk about our money. <laughs> Let's talk about our money, right? And people get real nervous when we talk about money. And if you notice, if you've been attending Avenue Church for any amount of time, I don't, like, I rarely say, hey, guys, you can give in the offering today. Avenue Connect, where? 97,000, right? You can give that way. But, but here's the thing, and I'm probably like, God's really dealing with me on this because in this whole launch process, I've not asked anybody for money. I've trusted God to talk to people about it because he's bigger than me and has like more authority than I have. But God's really starting to deal with me a little bit on that because he owns it all, right? And so when... When, when, when I need something, I go to the father, and the father's like, go get a job. <laughs> go talk to people so you can get some money. And so, and so he's giving me a job to talk about this, right? And so here's the thing. People think, like, money is the root of all evil. 
And we misquote that scripture. And this is what Paul says to Timothy. He says, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. In verse 10, it says, for the what? Love of money. It's not money. Money's not the root of evil. It's when we desire it greater than anything else that the love of money is the root of all evil and all kinds of evil. Some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And so, like, I've had men in my life that, that are so obsessed with, with success and so obsessed with, with reaching that goal financially that it, it has overtaken them, that they've given up, you know, time at home with family. They've given up, you know, trips with family. They've, they've, they've you know, in some senses and ways, they have um, uh, made decisions against their character, and they've compromised who they are in order to attain. And so it's not money itself. Look at your neighbor and say, money's, money's good. All right, look at your other neighbor and say, money's good. All right. You guys weren't as sure about telling that other person, like, what is that? But, but this, this is what Solomon says. Solomon says, he says, he says, look, he says, a feast is made for laughter, wine for a merry heart, and money is the answer for everything. Now, we know that, that money doesn't solve all the world's problems, Right? but we know that money helps, right? We know that, that you have to have money to go buy groceries. We know that in order to put gas in your car, unless it's electric, then you can just plug it up at home, right? But, <laughs> but you still have to pay for the electricity that goes in the car, and you have to pay the astronomical price for an electric car. And so we know that, that we need money to answer some of the questions and the world's problems that we have. And this is what Malachi, this is the last chapter in the Old Testament. Or, or the last book in the Old Testament, the last prophet, he says this in Malachi 3, in verses 10 through 11, he says, bring all the tithes, and tithes is 10%, bring all the tithes of yours into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do so, says the Lord, I will open up the windows of heaven for you and I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. And he says this, try it, test it, put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant for I will guard them against insects and disease. And so there's, there's this verse in the New Testament where Jesus is talking about that, that if you do this, if you give, it will be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, together, running over into your lap. And a lot of times we use that when it comes to finances, but that scripture actually talks about grace and forgiveness and, and kindness and living in relationship with other people. This verse is very, very specific to our finances. He says, bring your whole tithe into the storehouse. And, and so what, is that, what does that look like? A tithe is just 10% of your income. 10% of any of your increase, that's 10% of what you make in, in, in giving that into the storehouse. What is the storehouse? The storehouse is the local church that you're a part of. So for Avenue Church, we are your storehouse. And he says this, he says, test me, try me. See that I won't pour out a blessing that you can't contain. But here's what I love even more than this. He says, your crops will be abundant and I will guard them against insects and disease. And what he's saying is, look, you will prosper in your wealth, but I will also protect what you already have. 
And listen, for me and my story, I've been tithing since I was 16 years old with my first job at Piggly Wiggly sacking groceries back when you had to ask paper or plastic, right? And I prefer paper way more than plastic. You can get so much more in a paper box. Like I was just playing Tetris. That was back when it was the NES before the Super NES. And so I was doing it in real life. And so I made $3.85 an hour. Folks complaining about $7. I was making $3.85, half that, plus tips. But I was tithing even on that as a 16-year-old. And then when I graduated high school, you send out all these invitations, not because you want people to come to your high school graduation, but you want them to send the money instead of coming so you don't have to hang with crazy Uncle Carl. Just give me crazy Uncle Carl's money because he's rich, right? And so I got back like $2,500, right? And I was just like blowing. I wasn't expecting that. And like it's one thing for me to write a tithe check on $30 a week. I could give the church $3. But it's a whole nother thing when I get $2,500 and you do the math, that's 25, that's 200, I can't do the math. <laughs> it's $250 as an 18-year-old. I was like, that's a lot of money, yo. And so I went to my pastor and I was like, I didn't really, I didn't really earn this. Like, this wasn't a paycheck. It's <laughs> like, do I, should I tithe on that? And he was like, well, I'll tell you what I do. Anytime I get an increase, I tithe on the increase. Whew, okay, God, I'm going to tithe on the increase. And literally, like a month later, I got another scholarship to the college I was going to. And so I've seen that play out over and over. And even when Jennifer and I were planning the church, and even when we moved to Jackson and things were tight, and we went from no, not having a house or rent payment to having a house, we were still faithful and giving. And so... You know, I don't know where you're at. Like, I'm not telling you to give. We don't, like, I don't want anything from you. God doesn't want anything from you. He wants everything for you, right? And he says in this verse, when you, when you trust me and try me, I will pour out and I will protect. I will prosper you and I will protect. And so, you know, some of you may be like, Stephen, 10%, like, that is a lot. I, listen, the older I get, man, $20 is a lot of money, right? That's, that's dinner some nights with, like, Hot and ready from CC's. Anybody? No, Little Caesars, right? You with me? With me? Um, but just start being consistent. There's three levels. There's 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 a consistent level. Just like something is better than nothing. Um, because you're trusting God with what little you do have, and we see in that in that in, in that parable when we trust with what little we do have, He'll He'll make us responsible for more than that. But if you can't take care of what you already have the ability to take care of, he's not going to grow your capacity. So just start with being consistent. If it's not 10%, you know what, 30 bucks a month. Let's start there. Because what you're doing is you're trusting God with that little. And I promise you, you can't outgive God. No matter, like, I've been playing this game for a long time, and I lose all the time. I lose all the time. Just something is better than nothing. And then maybe you can give covenantly, and I don't think that's a real word. I sent that in my notes to Matthew. I don't think it is. I tried, but give covenantly, and that's mean like in relationship. Because God is saying here, when, when you honor this part of my relationship, I will honor this part of the relationship. And so that is a covenant, right? And that is the 10%. And then as you're growing, you can learn to give generously. And this is something that, that we are already doing. So it was our desire from the very beginning that, that we would tithe. Everything that comes in, 10% of it goes out. And it's my goal to increase that a little bit every year. And we're actually doing about 10.5%, which is pretty incredible. By the end of this year, this is what we will have done. End of this year, we will have given right at $10,000 to church planning through ARC. 
we will have given another $1,500 to local church plants just here in Murfreesboro, over $1,000 to international missions, just over $1,000 to local missions and benevolence. And that's not counting the extra fifteen dollars to $2,500 that you guys are about to spend on gifts for CASA. Come on. Because of how generous you already are, we are already going above and beyond what my goal was. But it's my desire to be able to do more than that. I was having coffee with um, a, a pastor, an executive pastor of a church here in Murfreesboro a few weeks ago, and they're giving 15 to 20% of their income. I was like, challenge accepted, right? And so, but here's what's about to happen. In the next year, they're going to have their building paid off. And he's like, I can't imagine how generous we're going to be able to be at that point. And so I can look at that and be like the servant with one bag and be like, I can't do that, so I'm just going to bury it. Or I can look at that and say, God, I want to be able to give generously like that. And so here's here's what we're going to do starting next month, all right? The first Sunday of every month, I want to encourage you, whether you're giving or whether you're not giving, let's start giving. If you're already giving, can you give a little bit more? Every Sunday, every first Sunday, we're going to take what's called a kingdom offering. It's already in our online giving. And, And we're going to give above and beyond what we're already doing. But here's what I know. In order for us to grow out of here, guess what? We're going to need some finances, and so what is given above and beyond on the first Sunday is going to be our kingdom offering. 60% of that is going to go towards the future ministry of Avenue Church. Because to purchase land, guess what we're going to need? Money. To rent a new facility, like I'm looking to get something a little bit bigger, is about double what we're paying here. To purchase a building, build a building, guess what we're going to need? Money. And here's when the opportunity comes, I don't want to immediately have to raise $200,000. I can trust God for it, but I would rather be diligent right now. And so we're going to give 20% to church planners. We're going to give 10% to local outreaches and 10% to international missions, above and beyond what we're already giving. 10% will automatically go out from from our tithes that come in, but we're going to give an extra 40% on top of all that the first Sunday of every month. And so, so here's what I know. If 80 people give an extra $10 a month for the next year, that's an extra $3,000 that's coming out of this house and an extra $5,000 to put towards the future of Avenue Church. Come on, guys. Like, like I want to see us reach more people, but it's going to take us using our ability. It's going to take us doing the work with our time, and it's going to take us investing with our money to be able to purchase and do these things. Because once we get out of here, like we might have to buy more sound equipment. We might have to buy a projector. We might have to buy more seats. Come on, come on. Matthew's like, yes, please, all day, all day, right? There are things that that we need, and it's not me that's doing it. We're doing this together as the body of Christ. And so one day our master's gonna come back, and even for me, he's gonna ask me, like, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave you? I don't wanna bury it. I want... I want to have a great return on investment, and that means working. That means taking risk. When you invest things, you, you're taking a risk, right? When people sowed into the Avenue Church to plant, they were taking a risk, especially in COVID season when there were a lot of churches and businesses not making. They were taking a risk, but because of their investment, lives have been changed. And so real quickly as we wrap up, three reasons that, that we bury our abilities, we bury our time, and we bury our money and not use it to expand his kingdom. Uh, one is we get trapped in comparison. And we look, maybe we're the person with, with one bag and 
We don't have a lot of time. We don't have a lot of ability in comparison to what those around us. And we, we bury it. Um, you know, comparison used to be keeping up with the Joneses down the street. Now it's keeping up with the Kardashians on the other side of the country. You know, and so don't neglect the gift that you have, the ability that you have, the finances that you have, the time that you have, because you see someone else has more than you. Instead, put it to work and increase your capacity. Help us increase our capacity to reach more people. Um, the second thing is need for comfort. Man, the best things in life come through struggle and work, risk and hard work. The need for comfort. We're all about feel good, take care of yourself, and I'm all about self-care. But sometimes we just got to go to work to see a return. And it's uncomfortable it's uncomfortable to get back in shape when you've been out of shape. It's uncomfortable to take risks financially. It's uncomfortable when you, when you take a new job or, or you try to develop yourself in educationally or new positions. It's uncomfortable. And we don't like being uncomfortable. And then lastly is this, is to be honest, and we'll talk more about this next week, is we just lack a cause. Trapped in comparison, need for comfort. But honestly, we just lack a cause. Um, in today's culture, we are the end to our means. We are the end. Like, it's, it's all about us. When you look at our culture and society, we are more self-absorbed than any other culture. I mean, we created a word that didn't exist 15 years ago. It was the selfie, right? We had to put a camera on the front of our phone so that we can take a selfie so that we can see ourselves. When you scroll through Instagram, you see a lot of, we are so self-absorbed. And to be honest, that's probably why we are miserable. Is because we're always looking at ourselves and we're not looking out at what we can do. I know for me in my life, and probably for those of you who have experienced it, when I start giving and pouring into another cause or another person's life, man, I'm re-energized. But when I wind up staying at home by myself all day and it's just me, myself, and I, and I'm just thinking about myself and, 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 and how I can, you know, just take care of my family and just take care of my church. Man, that's a real lonely place to be. And so we have to put ourselves back into a cause and make, you know, Jesus says, don't, you know, think only of yourselves, but take an interest in other. Paul says that, and, you know, to go above and beyond, outdo each other in honoring each other. Um, so next week, I'll talk a little bit more really about our cause and cast some vision for the next year. But in, in all reality, our cause and why we moved to Murfreesboro, why we assembled a team to start a church, while we're asking for you to, you know, use your gifting and abilities and commit some time and, and so financially is because people before you did it for you. You are our cause. Your family members who are lost are our cause. Your loved ones, your friends are our cause. The homeless gentleman that Calvin and some of the other guys that, that walk up and down the street and they visited a time or two, they come in and get a cup of coffee, we talk to them and they leave and Kenny prays for them a time or two. I don't, like, they're our cause. It's not 
about building Avenue Church. Our cause is about expanding his kingdom by reaching his people. And you, listen to me, you are his greatest cause. He gave the greatest of all resources for you. He gave the greatest. He left all of heaven's resources because of you. Jesus left paradise of heaven, gave up all authority, we see in Philippians, for you. And the scripture says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross to be the final sacrifice for our sins. You are that joy. You are that cause. And there are people just like you that are his cause as well. But if you're here today and and, and you haven't accepted that, I want you to accept that. That he doesn't love you because you're the greatest and he doesn't feel sorry for you and love you because you're the least. He loves you simply because of who you are. Simply, I love the way the Old Testament passage puts it. He loves you simply because he loves you. There's nothing you've done. There's nothing you could do. There's nothing you will do to make him love you any more or less. He's already shown the greatest extent of his love that he can ever show. There's nothing left to do for him. The only thing left for you is to accept and just to say, yes, Jesus, I give you my life. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, knowing that the greatest of resource and a perfect lamb and a perfect savior was given for you that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The greatest of resource was given for you. And if that's you here today and you say, I need, I need a relationship with Jesus. I need a cause. I need to know who I am. I need to experience God's unconditional love. Would you just simply just lift your hand just in a moment and you can put it right back down. each and every single week because I never know who's going to be here that God sent us here to reach that doesn't have a relationship with him. And so if you raised your hand, man, we're celebrating, but we're celebrating with all of heaven. Your church family is celebrating with you, but all of heaven is celebrating with you. So when I pray in just a moment, I don't want you to repeat my words. I want it to be your conversation with your heavenly father, your creator, who knows you inside and out, your darkest, deepest secrets, your scariest fears, nothing's gonna catch him off guard. You simply say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. I give you my life. I trust you. I place you as the king of my life and I promise to follow you. That's in your words, not mine. And for the rest of us, it's, it's our desire that as a church, we would be found faithful when the king returns, come on. That we would be found faithful with the people he's given us, with the finances he's given us, with the abilities that he's given us, and with the time, because we will have to give an answer at some point. Let's pray together. Father, I come to you this morning. God, I thank you for such an incredible, incredible group of people. God, I am honored and floored every time we walk through these doors on a Sunday morning to see what you're doing in the lives of our people. 
and in this part of your kingdom you call Avenue Church. God, I pray just for those that lifted their hands today. God, maybe they lifted their hearts and they were afraid to lift their hands or maybe too shy. God, you know their heart. You know their desires. You know their fears. And right where they're seated as they enter into relationship with you by simply saying, Jesus, I give you my life. As they utter those words, God, you know that's, a, that's not all that needs to be said, but that's a start. That's a beginning of a lifetime of walking with you in a conversation, God, that, that all old is gone, all past sins, all past doubt, worry that the enemy tries to bring back. God, I pray that it's silenced by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And God, for the rest of us, God, I pray that we would trust you. God, that you've given us an ATM of abilities, time, and, and money to, to not just build our castle and our kingdom of comfort, but God, to expand your kingdom, to reach even beyond the walls of this church and beyond the boundaries of this city into the hearts of homes of those that you've placed in relationship with us. And so God, I pray that you would give us the courage um, to take risks with our abilities to step out of our comfort zones step out of hiding and to step up to where you called us. God, that we would discover how you gifted us. God, that we would be more diligent with our time and trying to find ways to serve you, to serve our church family and to serve our community and knowing that those are the things that will, that will outlast anything we, we tend to waste our family or waste our time on. And God, help us to, to make time just for community and relationships. God, help us to be, to be mindful of, of not letting just the, the, the love and desire of money to, to control our lives, just to release that into your hands with a generous heart. Your word says that, that, that the world of the generous gets bigger and bigger and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. God, help us to be a generous church, even above and beyond what, what I see us as being capable of. God, that, that, that you expand our boundaries on that. And God, that we would expand your kingdom, not just grow a church. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. A to the man. Come on, let's give God a hang clap this morning. Listen. Thank you, thank you, thank you.